No one decides to go into debt. It creeps up on you. Slowly. Debt follows debt. Follows debt. Unless you do something about it. Face your debt problems before they cripple you. It's time to do something. Broadcasting worldwide, online, 24-7. It's Vuga Online, your inspiration radio station. Listen to this. Can't believe we're on this cruise. Ah, oh, the smell of the ocean. Mm. One wave after the other, and no land in sight. <sighs> and now the same thing, in green. Can't believe we're on this cruise. Oh, the smell of the ocean, one wave after the other, no land in sight. If a color can make something sound dramatic, imagine how it can make it look. Metal Paints, the right color matters. Visit metalpaints.coza. Strap yourself in. Because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Vuga Online. And you know, I say that every week, but January is passing us by and the weeks are going. And I'm hoping that you are enjoying yourself. You're remembering to find something to be grateful for each day and you're appreciating your loved ones. As you know, the show is about healthcare professionals and it's for us to learn that healthcare professionals are actually people. They get tired, they get hungry. They would like someone to give them a hug, but Healthcare professionals are there to do a job, a very important job, and they often feel that they can't be real in that situation. We're also wanting to improve the relationship between the healthcare professional and the patient for the patient to realize that they have autonomy. They have, they don't just have to take what's being told to them. They can actually make their own decisions. And I always love asking patients when they come out of healthcare professionals' rooms, whatever, well, what, what did they tell you? And they go, I, um, I don't know. Okay, so we need to change that. And then also, this show is also about us talking about topics that we don't talk about, where people would say, oh, but Colleen, you can't talk about that. And no, we do. Because the more you talk about it, the more you understand, the better you're able to be autonomous in your decisions as to what happens to your body and how you work. More about me, as you know, I'm a coach, I'm a mentor, I work with professionals, and I am a confidential sounding board in the healthcare industry because there's so often there is no one to talk to. So my guest today who will be meeting, she's first going to say hello, it's Michaela von Vili, and she is joining us. I'll tell you more about the break, but let's let her say hello. Hello, Michaela. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me, Colleen. I really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. But let's go for that break. Let's hear from our sponsors. As you know, it's perfectly possible to partner with the radio station to come up with any campaigns that you're wanting to run. And you are quite welcome to bring us your message. And we will make sure that all our 200,000 listeners get to hear. So let's go for that break. At Grants, we believe all good things start with three. Because three isn't a crowd, 
its company. Three, it always starts the party. It's triple the characters, the moves, the memories. Grants, aged in three types of wood for a smooth taste. Triple wood, triple good. Waking up to Vuga Online. Welcome back. You're listening to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. My guest today is Michaela von Vili, and she is a fascinating, fascinating person. And I followed her career for a long time. Sounds like she's 99, but no, not that long. Um, and so let me just tell you more about her just a little bit. Um, Michaela has a love of emergency medicine and critical care. We're going to find out what's the difference between there. Um, and she spent many years both on the road and in the air as an emergency care practitioner. So I'm sure that would be abbreviated to ECP or something like that. And she has had a goal of fulfilling her goal of providing best practice for every patient. From being operational, so zoom up she was in the helicopter out on the road, all those kind of things. She then decided that she needed um, to make sure that more people were trained. And so she's gone from operational out there in terms of being what she calls a meducator, in that she's now educating people in medical circles so that they have technical and clinical skills. So she has also specialized in the ability to teach various advanced life support courses. She went off and tootled off and got her master's in there as well. And she's been bringing simulation-based learning into the teaching space. So lots to talk about. Thanks for joining us, Michaela. Very happy to be here. Thanks, Colleen. All right. So let's start in the beginning. Let's go back to like your school dates. When you were growing up, did you say, oh, I always wished I was a? So that's an interesting question because I don't have a standard answer. I've always wished I was a paramedic because that's where I see myself now. Um, Growing up, I always wanted to go into the health field, health, something health sciences, but I didn't really know what. And in grade 11, I did some job shadowing and job shadowed a physio and I didn't enjoy it. I job shadowed a a couple different healthcare professions, speech therapists, all all sorts. And none of them really seemed like they fit. And I happened to be on a University of Johannesburg's webpage and I was looking at different degrees and a degree in emergency medical care popped up. And I thought, wow, this looks pretty cool. This looks pretty interesting. Applied and here I am actually just over 10 years later, qualified as an emergency care practitioner. So that is an ECP, good job. That is the... Hmm, we just lost Michaela for a moment. And I'm sure it's still recording. So let's just keep on talking and we'll fill up the gap. Oh, she's back. Yes, we just lost you for a moment. You were just saying that it is an ECP, emergency? Care practitioner, yes. Yes. Um, So emergency care practitioner, so that means I am now an advanced life support paramedic. It's not necessarily where I thought I would go if you'd asked me back in grade 11 matric what I thought I'd do when I qualified, but I'm very happy with the career path that I've chosen because I, it, 
it speaks to my soul and it it's who I am, my morals and my values align so perfectly with this role. And so I'm very happy that this is where, where we ended up. Okay. All right. So you, you did your training and then while you were doing your training, was it sit in a class and have textbook or did you have practical input in those days? So uh, very much half, half. So we would spend Monday to Thursday in class doing the theory, the, the learning how to be a paramedic, learning medicine, anatomy, physiology, chemistry, physics, you know, all of the, the subjects that go with being a paramedic. And then on the weekends, so Fridays and Saturdays, we'd be out working. So whether that be on an ambulance as a student, getting practical exposure to seeing patients, or in a hospital assisting doctors in emergency departments, or in theaters with managing patients. So essentially spends half of my time at university hitting the books, and the other half practically working on the roads and the streets of Joburg. Yes. And, yeah, there's nothing that yeah, can replace actually working on the streets to seeing real cases. So definitely not. So you can be as book smart, and, and there's lots to gather in a textbook, and there's lots of information you can get learning online and through other colleagues. But really the key is putting that all together. And it's one thing to sit and learn about a condition, but actually seeing it happen in front of you and understanding the physiology and understanding why processes are happening, it really solidifies and experiences the best teacher that you, I can sit and teach something or I can sit and learn something, but actually getting to do it and seeing the results of it, I think is a much better teacher than just sitting and looking at a textbook. Yes. And, you know, we can also know everything from a textbook, like backwards, forwards, be able to write an exam. But, you know, when you're faced with the situation, do you know what to do? Do you choose the right, you know, or do you freeze? Or do you run away and say, or look to someone else and say, okay, who's the expert here? And then everyone looks at you as if to say, no, well, you're meant to be the expert. That's you. So I think that's also what makes emergency medicine special, right? Being in emergency medicine as a paramedic, um, we say that emergency medicine is the most exciting five minutes of every other speciality. So we have to be sort of jacks of all trades. You have to know a little bit about everything. And our job is much more um, time critical. So if you don't intervene now, there's a higher likelihood that the patient dies or that they have significant um, injury or illness that follows. So yeah. it's being able to think on your feet, make quick decisions and make the right decision. So and it being put under that pressure is like a make or break. You either, you either decide, are you going to freeze or are you going to make decisions and work on? Yeah. And on TV, we always hear about that golden hour. Yeah. That's really yeah. important when we look at lots of texts and international South African texts. They speak about the, the they've changed from golden hour and specifically in South Africa, more golden period, just as in the time that we're going to optimize the patient's outcome by getting them to hospital as soon as possible. So that golden hour ideal, but unfortunately in South Africa, we are often in rural areas where we're further from definitive care being um, hospital or surgeons. And so we need to take that into consideration. So, Ideally an hour, but as far as possible, we try and minimize that to try and optimize patient outcomes. Okay. All right. And then I imagine that it must be very adrenaline-rich kind of work. Yes, very much so. That's one of the, I would guess, the perks of being a paramedic is um, you get to drive with lights and sirens. And so it's nice to have, you know, and 
although it, there's that fine line between driving quickly but also driving safely because we still have to follow the rules of the road um it is a nice way to get your adrenaline pumping because you've got a lot at stake in a small amount of time whether you're in an, uh, an aircraft a helicopter or you're in an ambulance it's there's a lot of adrenaline that goes into it and patients are often in a critical environment and so it's and it's adapting to those environments that really gets the adrenaline running and it's also the team adrenaline of like, oh, yes. yo, here we all go. And I mean, you get to arrive in uniform and you get to be like, wow, they've arrived. Yeah. But the reality, as you mentioned with South Africa, though, it's not always safe. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And as much as we are always there to help the community, that you, the paramedics, or they were not there to determine who was right, who was wrong. Um, we're there to treat the patients because everybody deserves, regardless of whether they're a suspect or not, everybody deserves the right to healthcare and specifically emergency healthcare. Often it doesn't necessarily mean it's safe for us. We are going into hostile environments and we know from uh, lots of news articles and actually some literature being published recently that South African paramedics are being attacked and are on the rise. Uh, oh my cat. We have a, a, um, a new visitor, um, yes. Yes, Although this is nice. can't see the visitor, Michaela's cat's just joined her, yes. <laughs> yeah, just joined me. Um, so we know that paramedics' attacks are on the rise, and we are getting assaulted and um, attacked for things of just being there in the wrong place at the wrong time, for cell phones, because now, obviously, nowadays, everybody has cell phones and their tablets. There's um, scheduled medication on vehicles. There's equipment that can be sold. And so, unfortunately, we now get targets on our backs because we're there to help the community. So we're not focused on necessarily around us. We're focused on the person in front of us. And so it puts us at risk of being harmed or hijacked or injured or assaulted. Yeah. It's, it's very sad when you think like universal healthcare, where in order for everybody in rural areas or in unsafe areas to be able to have access to healthcare, it's almost like the environment is then ensuring that there's even more of a spoke in the wheels that it's exactly. not available. And we need to think uh, as part of the any anybody on any course will tell you the first rule of treating patients is seen safety. You need to be safe. Yeah. And so if I don't feel safe, regardless of what's happening, if I also become a patient, I'm helped to no one. And yeah. so unfortunately happens that there are certain areas within all over the country, but I know obviously in Johannesburg specifically, we consider them red zones. And so that means that we will, an ambulance will not enter that area without a police escort. And we understand there are challenges with getting the police to come and escort ambulances and paramedics to patients all the time. So it then delays healthcare and you said that universal healthcare, and that's the goal. We want everybody to be accessing really great healthcare, whether it's primary or emergency care, and that is delaying that process significantly now because you have to wait for an ambulance each time. Mm. And the ambulance might be an extra hour away because it's not safe for them to move into the community. Yeah. So it's also important for communities to understand that, you know, paramedics, first responders want to give you the medical care that you, you deserve, that you should be having, but not at the expense of their own safety. 100%. And so we try as best to mitigate that as far as possible. And often in an emergency, we'll, um, dispatchers or call takers will direct bystanders and how to administer basic first aid. 
um, as well as instructing them to if they can move the patient to an area that's safe. So if it's the, the entrance to that red zone or to get them in a vehicle to move them closer to us, we try and advocate for that. But unfortunately, that's not possible in everybody's case. So it's something, it's a, it's a daily challenge, but it's not worth risking my life to be assaulted Unfortunately, we have to make that and see as scene safety is the first the first rule of any patient care. We need to also take that into account. Yes, spot on. Okay, so let's go for a break. And when we come back, um, you're going to explain to us emergency versus critical emergency medicine versus critical care. We'll hear about that on our return. Let's go and hear from our sponsors. How do you know that the consultant you're working with is who they say they are? How do you know if they can do the job? At the Africa Board for Coaching, Consulting and Coaching Psychology, we can tell you. So, before opening your company up to a stranger and spending your money, check with us first. Visit www.abccp.com. The ABCCP, the professional body for consulting. Where we play your music your way all day, every day. This is Vuga Online, your inspiration radio station. Welcome back. You're listening to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. My guest today is Michaela Van Vili, and she is an emergency care practitioner and with lots of qualifications. And she's been telling us about the adrenaline of going out there. She feels very strongly about each patient getting the, the correct care and the right care and on time. We've also heard about that in South Africa, it's called the golden period as opposed to the golden hour. And they do as much as possible, but because always spaces and places aren't always as safe as they could be, they need to make sure that they are safe before they go into any, especially a red area where they need a police escort. So Michaela, let's hear about emergency medicine and critical care. What's the difference? So it's essentially two specialities of medicine. Emergency medicine is the emergency department. So um, life-saving medicine that needs to happen within a specific amount of time to ensure that patients move on to other special or move past the emergency department. So it's managing airways, it's trauma patients, um, it's respiratory problems, it's heart attacks, it's strokes. So any acute illness or emergency illness that needs to be seen to. Critical care is... Um, a much longer time frame. So critical care is essentially intensive medicine and looking at patients from a holistic and more critical or um, in-depth point of view. So spending much more time with patients in more of an ICU-based setting. And, and we, in South Africa, with our HEMS providers, road operations as well as fixed wing, we are able to deliver critical care on the go to patients all over the country and all over the world and, and beyond, really. <laughs> Yes. So when when you think about it, the ICU then really goes to fetch the patient. That's exactly that. So I work at a private uh, HEM service or helicopter emergency medical service within Johannesburg. And so when I'm on shift, we essentially are a flying ICU. We've got all of the major drugs that you would need. We can do all the major interventions that a patient would require to ensure that they can be safely moved from one part of the country to another or to upgrade in specialist care. Yes. And we can we move everything from uh, day-old babies and premature neonates all the way to adults who have been in car accidents to um, 
older patients who might have had a stroke or a heart attack. We're equipped to deal with any patient in that environment. So moving them literally across the country to get specialist care. Yes. So there, when you think the golden period is really reduced because the ICU goes to fetch you. Yes. So the idea with uh, within within ICU and critical care medicine is that that golden hour has passed. There's already been some emergency assistance and the patient is stabilized to an extent. So um, they might have a breathing tube. We call that intubation. They might be on a ventilator. They might have some uh, drug infusions running to keep their heart beating or to uh, antibiotics or or such. So essentially we're We've missed that golden period, or that has really passed. Yeah. Somebody else has done that. We are now coming to bring expertise. So it really helps in rural parts of South Africa, where you've got small clinics and district hospitals who just don't have the resources to manage seriously ill and injured patients. So it's essentially giving those patients the best care, moving them from one space to a more uh, um, advanced hospital within normally they move and we move them to Gauteng because that's where a lot of the major centers are and essentially to giving them the best care that they could but taking somebody by road for argument's sake from Nelspreet is a four to five hour drive one way so that's a four to five hour journey that a patient has to sit in the back of an ambulance and it's potholes and windy roads you know coming out of the um, coming through the mountains there we're in a helicopter it's an hour and a half so we can cut down that patient's time to advanced care more than half. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Prof. Masrime was um, sharing with us, you know, with her being OBS and GAN, of saying, you know, so many places you go into natural birth, but you need a Caesar. And then when mm-hmm. the hospital's not able to give you a Caesar, that's where we have such huge morbidity and mortality of mommies and babies. 100%. And so... It's, it's being able to reach those smaller communities and because those are really the patients that need it. Those are the patients who really need that care and to be moving those patients from the smaller spaces to the, to the large tertiary hospitals so that they can get the care that they need. Um, I think it's an ongoing thing and there's, there's lots of challenges with implementing it in every province. And, and like I said, with, if universal healthcare and NHI comes in, I think it would open healthcare up to a much larger population. Okay. And so at some point you then said, okay, let's give up. Well, I hear that you haven't given up totally, but you're, totally. you're no, you're still doing shifts. All right. So we're still getting the adrenaline and fix, but you've now almost said, okay, I can help so many starfish. All right. By going out there in terms of patients. But if you train people, how many can they help? Exactly, exactly that. So I've always had a passion for teaching. It's in the blood. Uh, My grandparents on my father's side were both teachers. So it's definitely in the blood somewhere. And I realized that as a paramedic, I can help one-on-one. And that's incredibly powerful to be able to help somebody on the worst day of their life to make it even just a little bit better has significant impact. But I also realized that I could help more people if I could train other paramedics, other healthcare providers in the best evidence-based medicine to make them better, to help more patients. I can only help one patient at a time, but if I can teach a class of doctors, if they all just learn one thing and that one thing improves a patient's outcome, improves a patient's care, their experience, then to me, that's making a significantly larger impact on healthcare in general. 
And I'm sure that, you know, you're getting very qualified people sitting with you in class. Um, but it's also about saying, okay, I don't have these skills, but to be able to have a high enough emotional intelligence to say, let me get the skills. And it doesn't, you know, it's not saying that, oh dear, you know, if you don't have the skills, go get them. And so that's what we try and do at my company. We try and give access to education to those people. So a lot of people are there to upskill themselves. They're there to fulfill the requirements to get a job. They're there for CPD points. But really my goal is to say, okay, you're here for some reason. Make it worth your while. Even if you learn one thing, what is that one thing that you learned that's going to change your clinical practice? Because if that one thing can change your clinical practice, you can teach it to somebody else. And then the knock-on effects is enormous. So yeah. We're dealing with, so I teach um, mostly people in emergency medicine spaces. So uh, doctors, paramedics, nurses, clinical associates, first aiders as well. So people within the community, we're trying to focus on that sort of and growing that access to healthcare. And so it's people of varying Okay, so we just lost sound for a moment. Um, all right, sounds like she's back. Yes. I'm back. Apologies. Yeah. I think my phone connected. Um, and so really educating a broad range of people in a whole bunch of different spaces. We teach everybody from your conserve doctor, so somebody who's literally just coming into the independent practice, to experienced nurses who train it, who work in ICUs and, and um, critical care environments, and to paramedics who work on ships and on oil rigs in overseas countries and in international waters. So it's extremely, I feel very privileged to be able to share my knowledge and to share it with the world going forward. Yes, um, fascinating. And then I also know that you have gone overseas a few times to go and share your knowledge, to go and share your research. Tell us about yes, so, that. Um, so in 2022, um, I applied and was successful to speak at the USIM Congress. And so the USIM is the U uh, European Emergency Medical Society, and they run a conference every year based around emergency medicine and based in Europe. And so that's where their main focus is. But it's a conference that brings in thousands of delegates from, I think in 2022, there were 3,000 delegates from 70 different countries. And I had the opportunity to go speak about being a paramedic in South Africa because we've got such a different um, healthcare system. We've got such a different education system and how we manage with the trauma and uh, the day-to-day -day as we do because it's so um, foreign to them. And then, so that was in 2022. And then in 2023, I was invited back and that was in Barcelona. And I actually got to speak about load shedding and its effects on healthcare in South Africa because it's something we deal with every single day, but in other countries, specifically in Europe, it's it's a much more foreign concept of not having electricity, but it's something that a lot of our um, healthcare providers deal with every single day and still have to manage patients. So it's quite an exciting platform to be able to speak internationally. I've made lots of international connections and speaking to people on a such a big platform, you, you meet people who are doing research and who are interested in, in making healthcare more accessible, in improving healthcare for people. So it's a very, I'm very privileged to be able to do that. And I'm actually going now in February, in two weeks time, I'm going to Italy to um, speak and present at a trauma conference. So 
uh, around airway management. So I'm very, very lucky and privileged to get to share my share my teachings with the world. And there again, though, Michaela, is, is that the more you share, the more we are, you know, sort of like take our gifts and our knowledge and our lived experience and put it out into the world. Just think about all those starfish that you're throwing back into the sea. Yeah. So I really like the idea of being able to share. Like I feel that healthcare is such a universal um, a universal thing we all experience and we all have at some point interacted with it. So if I can make my little corner of healthcare a little bit better, then I'm yeah. doing the right thing. Because emergency medicine is, like I said, is the most exciting five minutes of every other speciality. So And it's where most people, unfortunately, enter the healthcare system is through emergency medicine. So if I can make that little bit of a difference every day in my teaching, then I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Yes. Okay, so let's do the right thing and go out and hear some adverts. And then when we come back, we're going to see about self-care. How do paramedics, how do first responders, how do emergency personnel look after themselves? But let's first go for that break. It's been a long road, but we're finally here in beautiful Buda and more than ready to serve this community. With 57 service bays, convenient same-day appointments, and some of the friendliest Subaru experts around, not to mention plenty of loaner vehicles, our service department is ready to get you in and out and onto your next adventure. That's love at the all-new, state-of-the-art, city-limit Subaru. I don't want to just sell you one car. I want to sell you and your family cars for life. Waking up to Vuga Online. Welcome back. You are listening to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. My guest today is Michaela Fonvilli, and she has been very energetically taking us through her career. I love your energy, Michaela. It's amazing. Um, she is an emergency care practitioner and highly qualified, highly experienced, and also realized that what she wants to bring to the individual patient, she could even maximize that and multiply it by teaching medical professionals skills. But with all of this, all this running around, most exciting five minutes of every speciality, where does burnout fit in here? So that's a, that's a very great question because it's something that I've experienced personally and unfortunately I've had to experience. It's something that I don't think is spoken about enough, specifically in the emergency medicine field, that's where I've got the experience. And I think it's got to do with that uh, bravado and macho and you're okay, it's okay, this is normal, suck it up, move on. And so I think the culture is starting to change, but I can say that I've burnt out while I was working on a net, well, working on the road on an ambulance and it definitely affects how you look at things and how you look at the world and how you make decisions moving forward. So it's definitely something that I think lots of people experience, but very few people are willing to admit that they've, that they've had. And so yay for you in actually admitting it. Thank you. I mean, it's not, it's not something that I'm necessarily proud of because I, I like to advocate for speaking about things and standing up and, learning when to take that step back but if I reflect on on my career I can definitely see in spots where I've burnt out and then you know sometimes we live through things and we gain knowledge 
So going forward, would you identify things more easily? I'd like to think that I would, but I also think, so I think I'm much better at identifying things that trigger um, more serious burnout or that trigger uh, emotional breakdowns. I've had a few times where it's gotten too much and then I'm left sobbing outside of a hospital and only then realizing why did I let it get this bad before I had to do something about it. And I'm very fortunate that I've got some really good friends. And last time I had friends say, we don't think you're okay. Please go see somebody. And so I'd really like to commend my colleagues and my friends for that because it takes, it's one thing to admit it to yourself, but it's also something quite difficult to go to somebody you respect and who you um, admire and to say, hi, I think you're not okay. And so I definitely think going through the experiences, I have learned how to identify some triggers and also learn to identify my, the feelings in myself where I feel this is getting too much. This is, this is, this is going to, this is going overboard. Yes. So it's almost there that we need preventative care in that instead of like getting to, okay, now we, now we at crisis, now we in the red zone. Okay. It's almost saying we need to bring into healthcare and not only in emergency and critical care in all of healthcare, that it's like, as we take the load each day, you know, here comes the kilo every day that at the end of each day, you put the kilo down or you put two kilos or three kilos down it's not that we get to the thing, okay, now we're actually carrying 500 kilos, half a ton, and we can't do it anymore. And then there's crash and burn and all fall down, um, as opposed to just preventative, you know, like we sweep the house. We sweep the house maybe every day so that we don't have a whole desert to remove. Yes, 100%. And I think that I think that's maybe a very accurate way, is that small trickle over time. It's a small thing today. It's a small thing the next day. And then slowly over time, we don't realize that we've got this, these dunes standing around us. Yes. And only then when it's too late do we, do we recognize and yeah. realize and go, oh, my goodness, it's too late. Mm. Yeah. And so we need to normalize speaking about, yes, it is my job. Yes, it is suck it up. Yes, we are tough. Yes. Okay. But actually saying, no, today was tougher. Or today, mm, I got angry at so-and-so. Or, gee, you know, to be able to talk about it. 100%. And I think we need to be building relationships and interprofessional relationships, even having people to speak to about this. And to normalize to say, you're allowed to to answer how are you with actually not okay. Because often the default, how are you good in you? And and we sort of move on. I'm fine, hey, all good. Okay, how was your weekend? Oh, wonderful. Yeah. No lacquer, we're moving on. So I think it's oh. it's, it's it's something for pe- practitioners to reflect on to say at some point you need to recognize that it's okay to not be okay. I mean, yeah. I teach um, on one of our courses that we teach, we have a human factors section and we speak about how human factors affect your work and how it comes down to patient safety. If we bring it back to a patient safety point of view and if you're consistently distracted or worried or or something else is going on in your brain, besides the fact that it's impacting you, it's not impacting on patients. And unfortunately, specifically in emergency medicine, a lot of patients, we don't have large room for error. There's very small margins for error. And I always teach that I wish I had a switch in my brain that when I went to work, I could switch off personal and I could just focus on work. 
And then when I get home, I can just switch off work and turn on personal and then I can leave work at work. But unfortunately, it's not as simple as that. So I have to, it's being able to come home and separate your home and your work life. And sometimes that becomes very difficult. Yeah. And it's, but you know, in the olden days it was, I mean, I'm way older than you, but it was a case of, you know, the home person was meant to stay at home. Okay. And you just arrived as the work person. And now we're realizing that whole people go to work and whole people go home. I think-, I think what happens also, though, when somebody says, whether it's a professional or, or not a professional, when you say, oh, how are you? Um, and the person says, not not doing well today. Okay. Then assuming that the person's listening and they hear not well today and they don't just hear no fun. Okay. Um, often people want to fix. And then when they don't know how to fix, they go away. It's like, oh, don't know how to fix this. Okay, and off they go. As opposed to you just need to listen. And I think that's also, I, I can reflect on myself in that. I'm a, I'm a fixer. I see myself as a fixer. I, I solve problems at work. Uh, my whole job as being a paramedic is solving problems for other people, right? With medical problems, right? Yeah. And so I find myself in that role. So when people come to me, my brain says, how are we fixing this? How do we make it better? How yeah. do we, and what are we going to do? It's, well, step one. How, what yeah. are we going to do? And so for me, it's being able to also say, okay, well, let me just listen. I don't need to fix. Sometimes we just need to be the person to listen and knowing when that when that time is and being able to reflect. And I think it, it, it comes with a lot of self-reflection and a lot of learning about yourself and Unfortunately, that only happens really with experience and as, as, as time goes on. And also understanding as well is, is that people can't do what they're not taught, you know, and if you don't have experience and you don't know how, you know, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And so there it's so important as well that in all of healthcare that we introduce self-care, that we introduce reflection that you've been talking about, um, that we introduce talking to people without it necessarily being fixed but just to be able to let go of the kilogram, okay, the kilogram of worries or the kilogram of whatever for the day of saying, okay, we put it down. Yeah. yeah. So I think it also comes back to, cause you can bring it back in something you could introduce into um, health sciences education and in health sciences education, we it's, I feel like it couldn't be, wouldn't be difficult to add a subject around speaking about this. I remember in my first year, we had a subject called mental health and wellness. In my first year of varsity and really introduction into emergency medicine, medicine, I didn't take enough away from that class um, to help myself move forward because it's a, you know, it's one of the extra subjects. It's not how to be a paramedic and anatomy and physiology and I think we need to maybe relook, like we need to have a subject like that, maybe not in first year, but maybe towards the end of degrees where you're starting to see these really sick patients and actually give practitioners skills and resources to deal with these things. Because unfortunately, I know lots of paramedics who've burnt out. I know lots of my friends and colleagues who have had to take time of work because of the mental stress and the mental load they've had to deal with. Yeah. And so I feel like having improving the education in that sort of field is a really strong place to start, but also having resources. So even if you haven't like where to start is a really important point.
point is that who can I turn to? Who can I speak to? And often the default is colleagues. And unfortunately, sometimes colleagues aren't trained to deal with that and, yeah. and, and not trained to deal with um, problems and how to, not therapy by any, by any means, yeah. but more from a, sometimes you also have a lot of your own things you're dealing with. And so do you have the emotional capacity to be helping yes. your colleague or your friend right now is also a really important thing. So it's education, but also knowing where to go when things go wrong. Yeah. And of course, knowing where to go that's safe and knowing mm-hmm. where to go that doesn't fix it, but it allows you to release it. Yeah. And of course, that's why in psychology, they call it debriefing. Um, and certainly in coaching, it would be a safe space just to be able to let go. And also a safe space where you can feel that you're being held. So I also think there's also a stigma around searching for help and asking for help. There's a stigma that mental health disorders make you less of a person or make you less capable to do your job. And so we've got that stigma around around seeking help for burnout and for other other depression, anxiety. And so then you've got people who they don't want to be seen as weak or whether that, that, that is true or not. Unfortunately, that stigma is still there. And the only way I think that we start changing that stigma is, as you said, is talking about it. Mm. It's bringing awareness and saying, hey, I've been not okay before. And I, I get where you are. I've, I've been where you've been. And let's help, let's help each other move forward. What I heard the other day, another of my guests, Cindy Pivacic, she was saying, saying, you know, stigma. Stigma is very much self in that you feel stigmatized. And she was saying, no, if somebody else wants to discriminate you because you're saying, I don't feel well today or I need extra help, then it's on them if they want to discriminate. But it's on us to say, I won't be stigmatized for the fact that I went to get help. And you don't have to allow, you choose whether you allow somebody to stigmatize you or you allow somebody to discriminate against you. Yeah. Yeah. So discrimination is on the other person's plate of, you know, well, you need to look at yourself as to what you are or who you discriminating against, but I won't be stigmatized for your narrow view of things. Yeah. So I think that it's starting to change within the paramedic profession that we're starting to speak about it more because unfortunately I've had colleagues and friends who have burnt out and have unfortunately um, gone down the road of self-harm and um, substance abuse and suicide. And so I think we we need to be talking about it more. We need yeah. to be bringing it up in social conversations. It's not it's not sharing war stories. It's, sure, this was really hard. Can I, yes. can I talk to you about it? Yeah. Yeah, so important. Because you know what happens is when it comes out of your mouth and you share it, it's also about, you know, sharing it with somebody who is able to process it and let it go. Otherwise, it becomes too heavy for the person. But a professional is trained to let it go. Yeah. And I think that's also where paramedics have this, maybe it's an incorrect sense, or is being a paramedic is a very specific and niche field of, of medicine. Mm-hmm. And it often requires, if, if I'm talking to somebody about, how I had to do CPR on a child for an hour. Sometimes talking to somebody who has no experience in that, yeah. you feel a little bit distanced and being like, okay, but they don't really know what this means. They don't really know, 
the emotion behind it, the physical efforts of having to do CPR for an hour, let alone it on a child. And, and so we have this thing, but they don't know what I'm talking about. They've never been there. And so it's also finding healthcare professionals or um, coaches or psychologists or counselors who have a little bit of that understanding. And you don't have to have done it to feel empathy. Yes. So it's being able to identify, okay, because there are some people who are better counselors or therapists for family counseling and um, marriage yeah. counseling and all that sort of thing. And it's finding the right practitioner that you feel comfortable speaking to that you trust and that empathizes with what you were dealing with because it's a very niched and specialized field. So, yes. So, in closing, you certainly need the professional support, the person who gets that most exciting five minutes of every speciality and is able to support you so that you can do it again tomorrow. 100%, yes. Yeah. All right, Michaela, thank you so much for joining us. This time has flown by. It has. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my thoughts and my views. And I hope that by talking about it, we can start destigmatizing that thoughts those thoughts in people and by really bringing awareness that it happens to everybody yes no so totally let's do that let's keep the conversation going we'll be thinking about you in two weeks time when you're off to italy thank you i know that they're going to thoroughly enjoy your your talk your presentation so well done on that thank you so much colleen it's been a pleasure being here all right so thank you to all the listeners out there. You have been tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. I really appreciate you being there. I value all your inputs and especially on social media where you talk to me, you answer all my questions. Of course, you know that I do in, include them in the show. So thank you very much for that. Please remember that you are loved, you matter, and you're not alone. You have been listening to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. The roads have emptied. Only us left, kids sleeping in back. Cat's eyes shine bright, white lines roll by. The rhythm of the streetlights. Radio hums quietly. Rain starts, hypnotic wipers. Pulling, hot latte and apple pie. Ease back into the darkness. Over 600 McDonald's open 24 hours. We are awake. You are listening to Vuga Online Radio.